up to the holy hour. <laughs> this is the All Hello. Cure Podcast, the bi-weekly Cure Shut Podcast, up. where we talk about some Cure shit. We're getting loosey-goosey tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We thought we'd throw it back old school style, and uh, Donald and I just have wing it. To uh, have a few beers in us, we figured let's let's just ramble on about something maybe we haven't really researched quite as much as we should, or uh, you know, be like those early episodes. Or shouldn't. And, uh, yeah. So we'll sometimes just kinda, it's fun just to experience things, man. Like the old days when we just call each other up and talk about the cure, and it would just go down some avenue like that. But we do have a theme in mind. Thought we'd throw it back. You know, we've been kind of hanging out in these later years and i know it's not the funnest for you so i thought we'd throw it back and talk about an old favorite that we never really got to give the full single appreciation to so this is another single episode on charlotte sometimes mm. how do you feel about charlotte sometimes do you like it sometimes do you like it all the time did you ever oh, like it all the time <laughs> all the time charlotte it's all the time? so pretty yeah it's so pretty and it slipped me up when i was a kid yeah like just hearing uh, Cure songs stuff for the first time, and I'm like, "Is this on a record?" Yeah, it was kind of that. First. And I, I, I kind of loved that loosey goosiness of it, and it like threw me off. Yeah, like, and I kind of like that it threw me off. And, and uh, I think that's why I like little sly songs. Like, there's a bunch of My Bloody Valentine EPs, mm-hmm. like with gems, like, and. It's not loveless. It's not. Is it anything? Yeah, it's you know? just a it's like these e- these little sneaky fucks, man. That like fuck me up. That song's so good. Like Charlotte Sunless is so fucking good. Yeah, and it's weird because most of us had it from the start. Because a lot of us start with like standing on the beach, you know. And it's like yeah. so it was always around. But then like when you start like kind of narrowing it down. Uh, and you understand the weight of it. Yeah, and it's just really cool that it was always there, but you never really knew where its home was. And uh, wouldn't you, wouldn't you just like base an album off of that? Yeah, just, that sound is so good. It sounds so good. <laughs> like, like why not make that a, a an entire yeah. thing? You know, Which like kind of cool and, though, and like the idea of like the single. You have that in your holster, like, yeah. like, what, what do you want? You want a fucking song? Bam, Charlotte sometimes. Yeah, so just totally cranked like, it out. Ow. You don't really know why they didn't seem like they Got really the had heart. to context-wise when you really look at when they <laughs> yeah. recorded. Like, they didn't have <laughs> yes. to record this, you know? And it was like, <laughs> totally, dude. It was like, totally could have just waited like a month and they would have been back in the studio anyway doing the next album. <laughs> and you put it on Look It Out. What album would that have been on? Uh, well, that's the weird thing about it is it's post-Faith which I get in pre-pornography. So it's like, it's a little like too poppy for faith, but in that vein maybe. But then at the same time, it's not quite dark enough for pornography. So it's kind of, it is a weird bridge in between them, you know? And it's like, that would have been a perfect breather in the middle of pornography. On pornography. You think it would have been? Yeah. Like on the album, like just put it in the middle of it. Just like give it some, yeah. Uh, Give us some breath, you know? I guess so, yeah. It definitely, I think it would be great as like a, a like or, popular one on Faith. I think it would fit great. And, and on the deluxe one, they put it on Faith at the end. I think it's, or it's on the bonus disc yeah. or whatever. But uh, I feel like it feels more Faith than pornography. But at yeah, the same time. Yeah, I could see that. Because it has kind of that haziness of it like Faith has, you know, with the strings Very and stuff. hazy. But uh yeah, it's weird though because it is. But like, where do you put it in faith though? Like slap it on at the end. It was just like a whatever. 
I think it would fit great. It's hard to say, you know, we'll get into all that when we really want to revise them or whatever. But the way that that... that We're getting into it now, dude. Yeah, I guess so. Doubt, you know, I always said that Doubt, that song was a little where it went back to the post-punky sound. And it's not a great song by any means. Um, Swap on it. Faith, well, maybe not swap it, but that slot is crucial on Faith because it's like coming off of, uh, yeah, it's like such a downstretch. Like, let me just grab the CD. Uh, so it's like, yeah, doubt is like coming off of like other voices, all cats are gray, funeral party, and then going into drowning man. So like, so Jesus. something needs to be in there. And even like doubt, it's like almost a little too like it gets a little too throwback post-punky almost like the first album you know where it's like uh and something like charlotte sometimes would have been like really cool because it really just kind of snaps that out and i think it would have been i mean it's only eight songs anyway you could have thrown them all on there really but same time (laughs) right but uh no but i could see that like that charlotte in that middle break like is it where the tape skips like or flips to side two yeah maybe yeah it would have been a good start to side two would be a good spot right uh like yeah. that would slap so hard. But I guess like, history wise, you can't say it should have been on faith if it wasn't even written and recorded yet. So it kind of <laughs> hey, all these what ifs, all man. these what ifs, and uh, on pornography. I mean, they probably could have dirtied it up a little more and made it fit pornography production wise or whatever too. You know, because this See, was that's what I'm saying. That would have been a break for pornography because it's so like yeah. It's just very that aggressive. might have like killed like that just defi- definite mood of pornography too a bit you know if it had like this kind of dreamy song out of nowhere in the middle you know and everything's so aggressive on pornography you know but like just like like a fucking breather man like everything gets so intense and yeah. you need that breather man and that song and even is perfect show sometimes it's hardly fucking. Friday I'm in love or anything. I mean, exactly. <laughs> when you put comparing it with these albums, it might feel that way, I guess. But it's hardly a pop gem, you know, like a you know radio. Yeah, dude. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's sneaky. What do you think about like um, the idea of all right? If you were trying to put it on pornography, how drastic do you think it would be different? Because Mike Hedges did this one like Faith right afterwards. He per- like produced it with Robert Smith. Um, and recorded it all with Robert Smith. That's the guy that did Faith, you know. And um, and then they changed for pornography. That was Phil Thornley and Robert Smith. Or Phil, I've been realizing I've been saying his last name wrong forever. Thornally or something. It's Thornally. Thornally? <laughs> something like that. What? Yeah. Yeah. When this it, sounds like a the Italian thing, car. They said it, and I was what like, "What do you drive? A Thornally?" Thornally. <laughs> Thornally. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit!" Thornally. I've been saying it forever. Thornally speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Thornally speaking. Thornally but, uh, speaking. Anyway. A, Apologies to uh, Phil. We'll just call him Uncle <laughs> Phil. From the... <laughs> but, uh, but he may have been able to put a little, a little, little stink on that mix that made it feel a little more pornography esque or something. I don't know. <sighs> because the other guy did Faith, so I wonder right. if Phil. So that's why it sounds good. <laughs> I'm just. Uh, <laughs> what you hate pornography now? <laughs> Think about the bad boy. You never know what he's gonna say. It'll keep you on your toes. <laughs> Piece of shit. Whole album sucks. Whoa, what? <laughs> so, but this looks so pretty. Yeah, 
I feel like it's all over faith, but at the same time, this seems like super like 1981 synth strings going and stuff, you know, like where you really get that dose where it sounds dated maybe, but in a super cool way, you know, like when you, I don't think it sounds dated. You don't think it sounds like an 80s song. I feel like this one more than other ones on like faith in particular, like does sound like an 80s song, but like, yeah, still in a I think super if you, cool way. If you but... drop this song now, it would be the biggest fucking jam. Yeah. But don't you think it would be a little like, it sounds so retro, but do you think it would be like a, yeah. we couldn't tell that it was? It's hard to say. But yeah, I don't know. Something about this one always felt a little more it, 80s. Era. It made it on like, uh, like their VHS, like. Oh yeah, they made it on the, on their singles. Yeah, that a, and maybe that's why that? because that fucking video is like the pinnacle of like the only real horrible bad eighties cure video. You know, like in a sense that it's so eighties looking that maybe I just have that vision and sound burned into my head because of that video, which a lot of people totally bash, but I think it's great. I love that video because it's it. terrible, but it's awesome. You know, and it's like the girl walking around and they're just like standing there all <laughs> brooding in the corners every time they turn around and uh yeah video was directed by mike mansfield um at the holloway sanatorium which is a sanitarium which uh is referenced a bit in lowell's book where they uh that's so deep yeah there's some that's heavy some man. cool shit to go back in there so as always read lowell's book and uh have some good crossovers, which I'm pretty sure is the same spot. Um, pretty cool, though. I think it's cool. The actress, I was able to try, trying to do a quick search to see if I could track down who she was or if she'd been in anything else, but nope. <laughs> but uh, she plays like two parts, and it refers back to the whole thing's reference from the book, uh, Penelope Farmer book, and this is like um, like a almost, I think technically considered a children's book um, called Charlotte Sometimes, and is one of the few cases where it's a direct lift, almost like going back to Cure lyrics reference-wise. Um, there's not too many that are like absolute lyrics lifted from the books, but there's some, uh, let's see, it was pulled up somewhere, um, like uh, all the faces, all the faces, all the, the voices B-side blur. The is called Where's Waldo? Yeah, all the faces, all the voices blur. <laughs> change from one face, change to one voice is the actual song lyrics. The lyric, the words from the, or the text from the book is, By bedtime, all the faces, the voices had blurred for Charlotte to one face and one voice. And then the song continues, Prepare yourself for bed. The light seems bright and glares on white walls. The book says... She prepared herself for bed. The light seemed too bright for them glaring on white walls. So pretty much it's pretty much a direct win, which isn't that common for Robert. Usually he'll take it and kind of spin it in his own words and stuff. But uh Does that lesson the song where it's just like, yo, you just ripped this from a book? Nah. It's titled the same and stuff, so I guess it's not too <laughs> I, I give him credit. Yeah. Fairly. <laughs> Very much it's like out an there. early uh, like hashtag. I listened you know, to some like interview that. with him recently too, and he was like, "Yeah, that one was just straight up lifted," you know, like where he was flat out saying it too. So I don't think he was ever pretending like it was his. <laughs> I mean, I think the whole premise is that it's a song about the book. So, uh, and even the B side, "Splinter in Her Head," it's apparently, a boy right there. Apparently, "Splinter in Her Head" is a uh, a line used in the book too. 
an empty world even from the top is supposedly from reference yeah. that book too i really want to get the book i've had book it because all those songs fuck me up yeah like, all the really, songs are really good i feel like totally like a slacker for not reading that still it's like just a short little children's book i think i've had it in my little amazon used you know wish list you're a terrible father i am like, i have a horrible you're denying person. your child with these kid books <laughs> yeah like, yeah or i should get it and read. you're denying yourself yeah yeah i didn't even think of that i was like yeah i should get it for my kid to read to him but but um <laughs> now i can justify buying it that was the thing i was just like i shouldn't right. buy this shit who cares but but um but yeah, I should it's get not, it. It's not all about the cure. No, it's for the children. This one's for the right. children. <laughs> so, so I was going to ask, have you read it? I, I'm assuming not then. Yeah, you're in the same boat. I'll pass no. it on to you when I'm done. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, we'll get back to you after. Uh, all right, everybody pause. <laughs> I'm going to go read this book. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Good luck, yeah. man. That'd be like... <laughs> Uh, what, how do you feel about Splinter in her head? The B side. It's very uh, rhythmic song. I love it, man. It's pretty much it's, the music is so good. There are vocals, but they're very distorted and mumbly. You can't really make out too much. And it doesn't come into like like it's like two minutes in. Yeah. And the music is the music is great. And then that two minutes in, when the vocals come in, it's powerful. Yeah, it, it's has its purpose and sounds great it's uh I, again i guess maybe early exposure but as soon as i hear it i just picture them being pushed around in wheelchairs and think of the little in-between video clip on the <laughs> you know vhs there you know where they're all crashing them in yeah but um it, yeah it is like it is like it's a weird transition kind of period yeah, like these two songs like really say a lot. I think of just like abandoned, uh, abandoned flux. Yeah, or something you know. Although I don't feel like pornography is a huge jump from faith. Like sound it's just, wise, yeah, it's just taking it like to the next fucking extreme for sure. You know, but it's like yeah, and it's like where do you go? And it's like we're going into this, and it's like fuck. Which means yeah, and. And we said it when we talked about pornography is like, well, it had to stop there. Basically, where the fuck do you go after that? You can't, it's like you need to chill You can't bit. keep turning it up. Yeah, they just want to totally implode in. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a, I see like Splinter in her head feeling more pornography than show it sometimes, I feel like. So it's kind of neat that I feel like that could have fit on pornography because it has more of that like rumbling drums, you know, with the tom beat kind of deal going on and stuff or whatever the hell's in there but, yeah it's um, like it kind of takes you places yeah like, don't you think that could be like a filler totally. or something at least more on pornography than yeah yeah i think that'd be more of a pornography one yeah yeah like it would feel very at home and stuff well i mean to freak you out but uh did you happen to catch the running length of show it sometimes no four minutes and 13 seconds it's so close to 420. <laughs> no, it's no, so you're close to 420. <laughs> 413. You're missing the point. Oh, God damn. <laughs> anyway. Right on, but yeah. Uh, chart wise, the single made it to number 44 on the charts back in uh, 1981. It was released in October. And uh, 
44. It made it to four. That's pretty good, 20? actually. 44. It's like, wow, that's not so bad. Do you remember always kind of liking the song right off the bat? Or was it one that was like... I remember it feeling kind of like it was a, a deep cut on an album of singles listening to, you know, where it wasn't like an obvious, like, you know, in between days kind of song or even like primary or something, you know, but at the same time, I definitely loved it, you know, like on first listen. And I always felt like it deserved like more respect than, um, than it did. I don't know. Got. That's why we're doing this feature episode on it. Yeah. We're finally bringing <laughs> the praise to Charlotte sometimes. How about live? It, it, it appeared live on the concert uh, one from the top era in Paris too. And I feel like that's another thing that maybe it throws back to where I felt like kind of seeing that dated comment in passing where it was like, I always liked that they never seemed to, I don't know if it's intentional or if it would just sound goofy, <laughs> but I feel like they never changed the keyboard sound or, you know what I mean? They always kind of stuck with it. Like it would have been a really easy one to like kind of modernize. Like whatever song they were playing before, they just left that same one. And it was like, wait, 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 not that bad. But I, I just felt like it was like very true to the original keyboard. You know, like some of the other ones <laughs> in you hear, like the live recordings, they've kind of like, kind of fine-tune some of the synth strings or something, you know, where it sounds a little more, you know, like you listen to, like, show or something that some of the synths have a little more, you know, 90s fine-tune to some of the tones a bit, you know, but, like, yeah. but I felt like on Paris, it, like, in particular, it sounds very, like, laissez-faire, yeah, I don't you know, mean. It's like, a, it's like, that's the string sound from the song you played before. Yeah, so maybe, or, you know, like, you could almost, like, like, dial some shit in, man, you, pay it some respect. Yeah, you could swap it out with a Moog or something and make it a little hipper for current days or something, right. but they never, luckily, have fucked with it, and, uh, <laughs> So I always kind of like that about it. And I think it always sounds great live, you know? <laughs> but, um, are you a fan of either of those versions or you just always go go for the recording? I always go for the recording. It's yeah. like, fuck. Live uh, I'm not big on, like, and I'm not big on, like, some live one. I like live recordings yeah. of a lot of bands. Like, Unless you're doing the if full. If it's live, then I want to be there. Yeah. I like I can appreciate it, but right on. like, like if I'm sitting around my house, like I want the version of like however they wanted me to listen to it in my house. Yeah. So maybe not just you know? that song, but any song in particular where you would be like, if you're making a mix or a playlist where you're like, nah, the live version's better or the live version's what you need to hear or it takes it to the <laughs> next level. <laughs> you can think maybe of off the top of your head <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be like old stuff yeah. like some jazz shit like that only ex- uh, like stuff that only exists in live yeah no cure ones yeah. come to mind though that you would rather hear the live one no I'd rather hear the recordings yeah. all day I think the closest I get it might be uh, like a night like this like on show even though I love the recording, but it has like the sax and shit, you know, I'm like that guitar solo just sounds so much better, you know, like where it's like, if only that had been yeah. recorded. But yeah, nine out of ten times, I'll still go with the actual album version, you know. But you know, sometimes if I'm getting crazy, I'll just mix it up and <laughs> throw the live one in there. You know? but. but I'll I'll appreciate some live recordings when I hear them. Like, yeah. cause I, I do love hearing like, yeah, yeah, like. 
Like I know what you're talking maybe about, prayers for rain it's... too. I think that one almost kind of sounds better live, but Disintegration is like the perfect album, so you can't really touch that, you know. But that that live version on like the old Entreat one is so good, you know. But yeah. But anyway, that's off top. There's that live hot 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 recording. <laughs> yeah, is that the one that does oh, it for you? <laughs> God man, <laughs> shit, this shit fucked me up. The one where Lowell's playing great. the trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You miming a trumpet. The, the top of the pops live one is the the fucking jam. <laughs> Sounds just like the record. Like just two fucking bangers. Yeah, man. it's a great single. That's what I kind of wish. You know, it's like people have gotten so away from that in a sense, and it's kind of neat because like New Order in particular is really cool about that, or in that area where they kind of clung to that, where like a lot of the cool songs are like, "What the hell album was that on?" You realize like Blue Monday wasn't even on that you know it was just like yeah. it's own single and like especially joy division and stuff you know or just that era i guess where you would just put out a single you know smiths would do that a lot where they would put out like a couple singles Fuck in between yeah. the albums and stuff it, and end up on, it end up on just some like haphazard album yeah and eventually yeah especially us as kids we could get it on some weird compilation or that was like how they pieced it right. all together but um so yeah, you. I kind of wish you know the Cure you know would do that now. Do more of that. You know, like we're yeah. You know they got. I wish they did more of that then, man. Yeah, you know, you just have a cool gym, rock it out, and then you know you don't have to necessarily base a whole album off it or whatever. You know, you could just kind of have a cool. There's so many out there. Exactly, dude, man. Like, I've been so, I've been so, fucking stoked on like bands that have like EPs. Like I've I've been really uh, digging like Cocktail Twins shit, mm-hmm. and they just have so many EPs and like like Peel Sessions and stuff. Yeah. Like I listen to that shit all the time. Like like a uh, slow dive and shit. They have a bunch of dope fucking EPs and like yeah. Like I'll search bands and be like like blah 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 EP. Yeah. I just listen to the EPs and they're fucking gold. Like gold mines, yeah, and yeah, like the curated shit, like that. Like I would love that. Like he's so, like they're so fast paced, and they did like, in a sense. I mean, and it's even like all those like Japanese whisper singles and stuff are all just singles, you know. And dope. it's like, you know, maybe when your scope is a little more fine tuned and stuff, it's kind of there's something to be said for that, especially in this day and age now, with like fucking. You know, nobody cares about albums anymore as much as I want to care about them. Yeah, I feel like Robert's got stuck in that old school frame of mind because he is so good at making cohesive albums most of the time. You know, or it's just like this theme and this huge thing, and it's all like he missed out. Yeah, grew up in a weird time. It's like a weird, yeah. But I mean, they are so good at that too, where they could just crank out like a single, you know. And it's like, all right, yeah, that would be awesome. So. Anyway, they could literally like do anything. They put up, they could put out fucking like giant great records. They could probably like if they grew up in a time where it's like it's all about EPs, which they did. Yeah. <laughs> but if they chose to do that, like yeah, they would have slayed. Yeah. Like because when they did dabble in that, it was like some of my favorite shit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it'd be quicker. It'd be faster paced. Why not? Just put stuff out. I was surprised more bands don't do that now because of iTunes and all that shit. You know, it's like, why not just put a song out occasionally? <laughs> you know, But I guess you want to just, yeah. I mean, I could see it if you're going to bother to 
get in there and write shit. You know, usually you got more than two songs that you're, <laughs> you know, it's like the old days like, where they did this like in between, yeah, even just looking this up. <laughs> they literally recorded show it sometimes. It was like in between like a festival and a U.S. tour or something. They just had like one night or something where they're like, all right, let's, I mean, who knows how long he had it written before that or what, but it was like. Is that what Never Enough is? Uh, Never Enough was from <laughs> like what it kinda, was like. It was. It was like, <laughs> like they they started a batch of recordings and they didn't work, and then they had it, so they just tacked it onto as like a single for mixed up, and then they kind of shift gears and started doing mixed up instead of like all new ones. So like Never Enough and Harold and Joe were the only two that worked. Remember, like Harold and Joe was like the one of they're trying yeah. to do something a little more like with like electronics or even like trying to be a little more like the um yeah. manchester stuff you know happy mondays vibe or whatever you know but uh but like what a random song like equating it to like charlotte sometimes like, yeah what a great rando to put out and then you slap this like yeah oh crazy fucking like never enough shit yeah like, but i mean that was even great at the time and stuff of what it, it was kinda slaps yeah like, that was a cool single that was a good one off i mean i guess that's what they've but, done they've kind of got more in the pattern of like doing singles and then you tack them on to like a compilation you know even like cut here i think is you know an amazing cool later cure song and they just tack that onto the greatest hits like the other one you know where it's like and wrong number, you know, it's the like same deal yeah. with that, you know, where it's like, it's just a single, but instead of just putting it out as a single, they just put it at the end of the singles collection or whatever, you know, so it's the one new song, which was kind of a 90s thing to do, you know, and uh, I wish I could think of like past occurrences where like this has happened where bands like slapped on because there's tons. Oh, yeah. Like slapped yeah. them on to like like singles greatest like, hits and they're like i don't know if this counts as a single you know, or like a greatest this song fucking greatest rocks, hits but it's our newest yeah. song you know it's like yeah <laughs> and even with the cut here i was like that worked i felt that fit on the greatest hits or whatever but then they put out they put the one on just say yes with the like republica gal that sings it was like you know it's a cool b-side or whatever but like you definitely they just seamlessly put it on with the greatest is like i don't know if that like really flows with like your, your greatest republica. hits yeah so, but uh i mean at that point i don't think they even really give a fuck they're like here it's a new song here it is if you want it you know but same time i was like well you you kind of cut like a really good song to put that on there but okay you know yeah um Going back to the actual single idea, the other fun fact that is pretty widely known, I guess, at this point. I've, I've never really seen them confirm it, but I've just seen it somewhere, and it looks like it's got to be true. But the single cover of Show It Sometimes, you ever see that? was just kind of a blurred-out, zoomed-in image. Is actually apparent, it's apparently the exact same photo that is the cover for Pictures of You of Mary, you know, where she's like the white one where she's looking down in the mirror. From pictures of you. <laughs> well, to the people out there, apparently it's the same photo and uh, just zoomed in on a certain section and like kind of disordered out. So, but kind of cool that they use the same image from like 1981 that would be later used in 1989, all those years later. <laughs> That's a little weird. The fact that like disintegration is only eight years later. Seems like it's like a hundred years later, but 
That's eight years later from from like Charlotte sometime. Charlotte Isn't that crazy? It's not even that long. After you'd think disintegration would be like at least ten years later, but oh well. All right, Donald, we'll, we'll leave Charlotte sometimes at that. What? How'd that video end, anyway? I don't know. Did she just disappear? Did she kill them all or something? I don't know what happened. I mean, it's sometimes. Yeah. Was she a ghost the whole time? I don't know. I mean, sometimes. Sometimes. Got to read the book, I guess. <laughs> Charlotte, what are you doing? Okay, we'll get back to you guys when we read the book. But until then, thanks for chatting Charlotte sometimes with me, Donald. Oh, I'm never going to read a book. Oh. <laughs> He's never read a book. <laughs> <laughs> this could be your first book, Don. I'll read it to you with it. Like next time I come Fuck up, it'll books. be like with headset. I'll, I'll sit there. I'll read it. To you. <laughs> you can read the sight words, and I'll read all the other ones. <laughs> words? <laughs> well, am I right? That'll be like a whole episode in itself. I'll be like, me reading Donald Charlotte sometimes. Good night, start. <laughs> I'd actually love that, man. <laughs> <laughs>
that basically tells the whole story. Um, Penelope Farmer, the author of the book, has a blog that she writes, and she goes by Granny P. And, um, yeah, so she basically tells the story of how she found out about the song and uh, eventually met Robert Smith. So um, it's really cool. I won't read it to you word for word, but I'll put a link to it on our um, feed or uh, thread for this episode. But uh, basically the quick version is she heard the song via one of her children maybe 12 years after the book had been written in like the late 60s, 69 or so. And um, so around when the single came out in 81, uh, 12 years later after the book uh, had been written, one of her daughters tips her off to the song by the care. And, um, and pretty initially it sounds like she looks into like legal action right off the bat because she realizes a lot of the lyrics are direct lifts from the text. And, um, you know, she just kind of went with that reaction. And uh, apparently copyright laws were different back then, a bit dodgier. Um, so all her lawyers and their people got talking and authors and councils got talking and no one could really tell her though for sure if it would be an absolute win or not if they tried to seek any kind of legal um like pursuing for the rights of the song or you know the lyrics and um and somewhere around there though she notices the book sales are really going up because of the song and uh she's like oh wait a minute hold on uh, okay i'm cool with this because the book had kind of come and gone by that point and this was sparking new interest in it and the sales were going up again so this would continue on and she just kind of backed off and um you know didn't contact them any further and um it would go on for like this for about 10 more years even and eventually in 96 around the wild mood swings tour um she sees that the cures come into town earl's court show which is fairly close to where she was living and she contacts the cures management um, about meeting Robert Smith and the band backstage or whatever. And um, so her and her niece go and check them out. And they're waiting forever backstage. Um, there's like contest winners waiting ahead of her, getting a ton of shit signed. And it's starting to look like they aren't even going to have enough time to meet Robert. They're just patiently waiting backstage. And it's coming down to the zero minute before they have to go on stage. But then at the last second, Robert clears the room and approaches Penelope Farmer. And um, he hands her his own copy of Charlotte sometimes and asks if she would be kind enough to sign it for him. And, uh, of course, immediately she's pretty taken back and thrilled by it and uh, notices that in his copy he has underlined passages of the text and written little notes on the margins and such. And, uh, of course, she signs it for him. And uh, almost immediately he apologizes for being for you know so blatantly lifting lines from the book and she's like oh don't worry about it and uh it's all good and 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 she says what a sweet dude he was and a great interaction it was even though it was cut fairly short because he needed to get on stage um and then she you know she sat through the show she seemed to enjoy it but you know wasn't totally blown away doesn't sound like maybe they're totally her cup of tea as far as uh music but uh enjoyed the show and then for the encore, there was some talk of like he couldn't put Charlotte sometimes into the set because it wasn't part of the current album or something, which seemed a little dubious. But uh, nonetheless, uh, he was planning on playing Charlotte sometimes in the encore. And uh, so she sticks around for the encore, luckily. And uh, Robert actually announces from the stage that uh, 
that Penelope Farmer is in the crowd, author of Charlotte Sometimes, and uh, they put the light on her. She stands up and waves. Everybody gives her the big rock star cheer for it, and um, it's just a really special moment for her, and they play Charlotte Sometimes for her as the lights go, and uh, the song is played wonderfully in her honor. All right, so ideally it'd be great if, uh, you know, they became best buds and uh, he basically comes and hangs out every other weekend with her, but um, it doesn't sound like they've crossed paths too much since then, but I can't recommend going to check out uh, Granny P's blog and uh, getting the full scoop because there's so many great details that I was leaving out even and just the way that she writes obviously is uh, very cool and uh, tells paints the full picture and tells a great story. So definitely go check that out. And definitely a huge thanks to Maya for um, you know sending that my way and uh, getting me on track because that's such a cool story that you can't do a Charlotte Sometimes episode without addressing the, the fact that they actually met and um, had that interaction is cool as hell. Was anybody out there at that show? That must have been so cool. Um, in Earl's Court, 96 Wild Mood Swings Tour. So, uh, all right. So moving on from there, I also asked on the Instagram feed if anybody had any personal attachment to this song going back when. Um, did this song have any actual attachment to anyone's life? And we heard from Isabel from Portugal. Got a great email that I'd love to read for you guys now. Um, always good to hear from Isabel. And she writes, so about Charlotte sometimes and some context about my life. My mom remarried in 1980 when I was three, and my dad, my stepdad, had a son 10 years older than me, and he was 13. He was already very much into music. I used to live with my grandmother, so I only spent the weekends with them. Fortunately, the room I used to play on weekends was the same room where he used to listen to his music. By the time Charlotte sometimes got here, music used to take a few months to get to Portugal, my brother was obsessed with it. I don't know if it was the 7-inch single or if he had a tape recorded from some radio station, but I clearly remember listening to it during the winter of 81 and 82 as we couldn't go outside and play. So I would be doing my Lego and Charlotte would be on most of the times, and I also remember him telling me that the song was about a girl named Charlotte. I guess he didn't get all the words by then. By the same period, my brother was in love with Susie Sue, so he had this enormous poster of her in his bedroom, and I thought she should be Charlotte. Kids are like cakes, right? Mix it all together, and that's it. I also thought Charlotte Sometimes was a very popular song. I didn't understand the words, but the melody was so familiar to me that I thought it was the most famous song in the world. Some kind of classic, I don't know. You can't imagine how I was truly surprised when later in my teen years I realized none of my friends had ever heard about it. As a side note, my brother took me to my first Cure concert, and I'm very much aware that he is the main reason for all of this. Best to all of you. Have fun, Isabel. And thanks so much, Isabel. And I uh, really appreciate you sending that in. It really uh, it could just visualize you as a, as a kid hanging out and... Uh, 
in your brother's room listening to shout sometimes indirectly and it all just seeping in and that poster of Susie on the wall it's pretty rad so thanks so much for sharing that I love that kind of story um and uh shifting gears a bit we on the instagram feed we also heard from melody and melody uh sent us a cool picture that i'll have to post on the facebook thread as well and it's of her copy of charlotte sometimes that she brought to a show and got the band to sign so it's just a good idea for all of you out there hunting the band down during this festival season if uh getting the single signed is a little too obvious take your book and uh, what a cool idea. So I uh, have to post that picture up so you can see it. But it's just a have them sign the inside cover there. What a great idea. Thanks for sharing that, Melody. And um, back to emails. We heard from Victor, our buddy from the show that you heard from his origin story last episode here on the Holy Hour podcast. But Victor um, is a big fan of Charlotte sometimes. And he wanted to send a few words um, on that as well. So Victor wrote, um, as hard as it is to put together a top 10 of Cure songs, Charlotte sometimes could very closely be it for me. It's in the top five at least, along with uh, Pictures of You, Letters to Elise, and a few others. Um, however, all of this comes with a caveat. I heavily prefer the live versions, especially the ones around the 1985 era compared to the studio version. And maybe that's a bad thing because probably the mood of the song is better represented by the slower, murkier studio version. Um, this one, though, is one that I've noticed is clearly different um, in the way that it's played by the different drummers throughout the Cure's history. Although I love Jason's drumming, I very much prefer Boris on this song. Um, I'm also attaching this version that I like best. I like it a little faster paced than most. Maybe even a little faster than the way they played it on In Orange. There is a little guitar riff that can be heard clearly right before the first vocal. Also, the keyboard riff that the studio track does in the guitar at the beginning of the track that runs throughout the song, replacing the backing vocal. Also, the guitar notes during the intro can be heard more clearly than in the studio track. So uh, this is from a 1985 Birmingham show, Bootleg, and uh, it is. It's a little little peppier and has a different feel for sure. So uh, this is Victor's favorite version of Charlotte Sometimes. That's a, definitely a rad version of it, so uh, I totally get it. And it is a weird one that can vary in mood for sure uh, throughout the history of the band and the song. So very cool. Thanks for bringing that to light, Victor. And um, yeah, you also shared a cool uh, cover version from a Finnish band called Shamrain. And um, yeah, they, they, I'll put that on the Facebook as well, but it's uh, very cool. Um, as along with a lot of good covers of this song throughout the years, it's one that people can either goth up a bit more or kind of just pull it into more of a straight-up pop song or make it real slow. A lot of uh, really slowed-down female vocalist versions out there. Uh, but just some worth noting, Wolfkin covered it on the Perfect is Cats uh, 
tribute. Uh, the Painkillers has a good female vocal version out there. Um, Note, N-O-T-T-E, um, is a more gothy version of it. Um, and Video, uh, they're a Greek version of a new new wave electro-pop Greek band is how they were billed. Um, but that one's out there. Trampoline was on that DC band's Give Me the Cure tribute from 94. Walk Unto Sun uh, has a cool version of it on the uh, blog that celebrates itself Bandcamp page, and which I highly recommend checking out. There's a whole Cure tribute of that uh, called Cure in Other Voices, uh, which I plan to um, take a closer look at on an upcoming covers episode. Um, so yeah, Walk Unto Sun does show it sometimes on that one. And we'll put a link to all these Cure um, or to all these show it sometimes covers on the Facebook page. And, uh, and in that mix, the silence kit covers on that same compilation winter, which is a very cool, obscure, uh, three imaginary boys outtake. But I, I mentioned that and because the guy in silence kit is the one in the thread that goes back to that interview that initially mentioned the Penelope farmer, um, Robert Smith encounter, and it was so weird because I, I listened to that a few days before, and uh, and he does a really cool interview. So I'm also going to link to that on the Facebook page. But in that same interview, you get kind of Robert's reaction of the whole encounter with Penelope Farmer. So and uh, and just a lot of good other questions that um, the the guy from Silence Kit. Sorry, I didn't catch your name. Um, uh, interviews Robert Smith, and uh, it's really cool. And Robert even admits at one point at the 4 minute and 28 mark of the second part of the interview that uh, he debated using a guitar at one point. Check it out if you don't believe me. Anyway, um, so yeah, moving on from there. The girl in the video. You know that video that we talked about? It's uh, It's in... Uh, cure history often noted as the worst cure video ever but uh makes a little more sense after you see the uh after reading the book now i kind of get what they're trying to do a bit more even though it still technically fails miserably but um it's still a great video and the girl in the video has always been a mystery i really wanted to research the hell out of that and uh be able to deliver for you guys and tell you that it's Actually, she grew up to be um, uh, so-and-so on Melrose Place. But no, I couldn't find anything on this chick. So if anybody knows out there, we would love to hear about it. But I couldn't find anything. There's a few like very suspect rumors that I saw in some thread somewhere that somebody said, oh, it's it's Janet, Robert Smith's sister that, you know, I believe is formerly married to Pearl now. Um, uh, or Pearl, um, but at the time, whenever Robert's sister, Pearl's ex, whatever you want to call her, but it, there's no way. The way they're talking about how bad the band bash is on that video, I doubt that that's Robert S Smith's sister. Um, another thread said that it's Simon's girlfriend at the time, but again, that seems very thin and uh, probably BS. So I wouldn't put any real stock into any of those rumors. But uh, if anybody knows what is up with that chick, if she went on to great fame, or if this was her one and only acting gig, but uh, I'm sure she could probably do a Cure signings, like if it was the equivalent of a Comic-Con, <laughs> she could go to Cure shows and uh, sign headshots of being the the chick from the uh, Show It Sometimes video. But um, yeah, it was definitely the overall spooky ghost vibe going with the synths and such makes way more sense after reading that book. Speaking of which, 
I read the book and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So I'll conclude this episode with a quick review of the book. And uh, I'm right out of the gate, I'll tell you I recommend it. Um, it was definitely not. I don't remember in the, in the part where I was talking with Donald if I full on called it a children's book or what. But I initially had the impression that it was more of a kitty novel and you know it has a very young adult novel feel um but it's very well written and um you know you probably couldn't i don't know it depends on what kind of reader you are could probably crank through it very fast but at the same time it's not like you know like a little 50 page kid book by any means it's a it's a real you know young adult novel i would say i think they recommended ages 9 to 12 which is you know preteen or teen you know definitely seems it but um you know early high school even probably um but the premise is the girl in boarding school private school whatever you want to call it is new and um so she's going to this new school um and she goes to sleep and she comes in this bed right and she wakes up and it's uh 40 years earlier and she realizes she's in the body of this girl named claire and uh all this wackiness ensues in the old like freaky friday fashion where every other night when she goes to sleep she goes back to her time she goes back in time to world war one the last year of world war one 1918 she figures out is what year it is and there's a girl's sister there that very quickly catches on that she's not claire and uh so she's able to team up with her the real girl's sister and try to figure out a way to get back into real time and get the other girl's sister back and it's only from charlotte's perspective though so we don't know what's going on with claire and what's going on when she switches bodies in the uh current day part of the story so it's really cool and about halfway through the book she gets stuck they have to relocate and um she gets stuck in 1918 and it's looking very grim about a way to get out of there and uh, you kind of she just kind of gets caught up in the other girl's life and almost starts to forget what it's like to be her own self and her own identity and there's a lot of deeper meaning with all of that and then Penelope Farmer's blog she even goes into that and how this book was very important to a lot of twins and stuff and young girls finding their identity and stuff and um, so there's a lot of really good stuff in there with that and uh, anyway as far as the premise she eventually you know I don't want to spoil any of it and uh, and then there's a slight it's not a twist ending but a good ending I'll just say and uh, and then when you listen back to the cure song it's pretty obvious so um, it's like oh yeah the cure actually kind of already spoiled it but um, yeah so I think as a cure fan everyone should read it out there for sure uh, if you love this song it definitely comes too and and it is neat because it is like one of the few times we did that whole episode with Bella. Uh, definitely go back and research that if you haven't heard that episode of the Holy Hour where we tried to pick through a few um, literary sources where Robert was very good about like being inspired more by by text and uh, not just lifting lines as a lot of songwriters do. But in this case, it's one of the few times when he just really is just taking cool lines from the book and it's great when you're reading it. Um, you're just like, whoa, that's the actual line of the song. That's great. And uh, I think it's cool as hell. And it kind of comes out blazing with it. A lot of them are in the first like page even and uh, first part of the story there. So it's kind of cool that you don't have to um, dig too hard to, to feel the Cure connection. And then there's a few real good ones at the end as well. And uh, a few sprinkled in there. And there's even Stiff as Toys and Tall as Men, which uh, I believe in the Bella episode we... We uh, ran through a list of ones people had cited were also inspired, and and uh, on that list 
um, empty world from the top was cited as being also inspired by a show at some times. And I was like, what? Um, but if you read it, it does make sense now. And, um, you know, the, the war side is all world war one and, um, stiff as toys and tall as men is clearly noted in the book and, uh, pretty cool. So on top of that, um, I definitely, you know, like I said, it's a superbly written book. I highly recommend it for all Cure fans. Um, it's a must-have for your collection, too, if you have Cure books or whatever. I can't believe it took me that long. Um, but I'd also rec- just recommend it to anybody that's, that's uh, you know, got a, got some younger girls in your family or twins or anything like that. I think they really could identify with it and uh, get a lot out of it. It's really just smart cool book and does have a cool ghostly vibe to it much like the song um where they really do capture the feel of it and just the way it's written is very dreamy like that era you know so um yeah and a fast read so it's not a huge commitment by any means so um go check it out you can get it super cheap used online so yeah in closing i'd just like to also dedicate this episode of the holy hour to all the children out there that have been named charlotte not only because it's a great name in general but either directly or indirectly because of this cure song is a nod to the cure song or the book um i've noticed quite a few people on social media have given shout outs of like hey that's my kid's name because of the song and uh they often had to debate elise or charlotte it seems like charlotte wins most of the time uh, we did hear from Jennifer Handley on the Instagram thread that mentioned their daughter was named after the song. And most notably, our good friend of the show, Coulter, just had a baby girl today, July 3rd. And uh, as we're recording this, it's July 3rd. And um, sure enough, her name is Charlotte Nicole. And uh, we want to welcome her to the world. She is bound to be cool as hell. And... Um, and another great Charlotte out there. So that's pretty rad that it just happened to fall in the night that we were wrapping up this episode that uh, she was born. So we want to send all our uh, well wishes to them and, um, you know, give them all our best. Congrats again, Coulter. And uh, on the top of that, uh, be sure to subscribe on iTunes. We um, are on Instagram at the Holy Bower Podcast. Check out this Facebook page of this episode in particular. We got lots of extra tidbits, including the blog from Penelope Farmer herself. So go on over to the Facebook page where you can find that real nice and easy. Email me directly at GavinConnor at gmail.com. And you know what? Get yourself some Cure t-shirts. Our boy Chaz is cranking out some nice ones, so go on over to 17secondshirts.bigcartel.com and see what you can pre-order and um, liven up your life with a new wardrobe and look really awesome for an upcoming Cure show. Instagram of his is 17 underscore seconds when you get t-shirt ideas and all kinds of stuff on there and uh, heads up of when they're coming out and be sure to also go f- check out our friends uh courtney and shane's podcast echo in here podcast if you're a fan of echo and the bunny man which i know a lot of cure fans out there are um you will not be disappointed they have so many great episodes that you need to catch up on so if you're any level Echo and the Bunnymen fan, I recommend going over to iTunes, find Is There, Is there an, an Echo in Here podcast. You won't be sorry. So yeah, then just go put on Charlotte Sometimes single. And uh, any live versions out there, of course. Watch that awesome weird-ass video and let yourself get transported into 
another time, maybe even another body, wherever it takes you. And uh, special thanks again to Donald, Maya, Isabel, Melody, Victor, and the guy from the Silence Kit, and uh, Penelope Farmer. Why not? So I don't want her suing me, right? And uh, and you guys for listening. Thanks so much. And uh, we'll catch you next time as we dive into the final and most recent Cure album for 13 Dream. For the Holy Hour, I'm Gavin. Talk hard. Talk hard.